like we receive a gift, we open our hands to receive. Praise you, Jesus. so often in our world where we don't take these moments you're so busy it's so noisy just to breathe and enjoy the presence of Jesus how good it is to be able to take those things that often weigh us down and, and surrender them and say Lord you take them Maybe it's a little more desperate and saying, Lord, I can't do this anymore. It's too exhausting and Lord, take this from me. And his word is so precious. He said, cast your cares upon me because I care for you. Thank you, Jesus, that this morning that is your your heart towards us. Lord, your word says that you're praying for us right now. At the right hand of your Father, you're interceding for for me. And Lord, I pray there just be this wave of peace that comes in this room. This contentment that even though life may not look the way that we would like it to look, that you're in control. Be still and know that I am God. Hallelujah. 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 So Lord, we pray now as we turn to your word that you would speak to us. God, I pray that everybody in this this room, everybody who hears this online or watches it online, that God, that you would take something off them this morning. That, Lord, there be freedom and hope and joy found in you, Lord, in this word. Thank you, God. We praise you. We love you. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. The uh, cut-down version. You notice there's a bit of a theme going on with the, with the green. like it. It's nice. Sorry I didn't get that memo. It's, uh, it's good. Don't they do well? Amen. Praise God. We're carrying on in our series in Habakkuk. If this is your first or second time with us, then we've been working through the minor prophets, at least a few of them. There's 12 all together. And uh, the reason they're called the minor prophets is not because they're less important, it's because they're shorter and and the Hebrew historians would call it the book. It's the, it's the 12 
minor prophets together. And, the, and, I, and I have to say, as you study the minor prophets, and I hope that you've been able to read some of them as we've gone through this series, you'll see a bit of a theme that comes out. There's, uh, there's, 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 there's a, a trouble and there's challenge happening in Israel or Judah, and, and then God speaks through a prophet. And, uh, and I have to say, if I'm really honest, sometimes it's tough to read. It's like, boy... There's a lot of plagues and a lot of earthquakes and a lot of, you know, kind of sorrow. And then, then, then it picks up at the end and, and there's this point of repentance and God says, yes, this is the way things could be, but this is how, this is how it's going to be at the end. And you kind of sigh relief at the end. It, it's, it's good and it's wonderful. Today is a little bit different. We're going to look at Habakkuk, and, and Habakkuk as a, as a book is, is framed a little bit differently. And so we're going to jump in, and we're going to look at a few verses and, uh, and pull out, I hope, some great encouragement for you and uh, some challenge and some things for us to work on. That's my, that's my prayer. Uh, t- Dwayne, could it be possible just to dip those lights just a little bit? That would be wonderful, so then I can see them. Oh, there you are. Praise God feel a little bit like Bono and you too with the lights. She's just black out there. And uh, I think it just made my vision failing. It's wonderful. Okay, Habakkuk. It's a, so here's, here's how this is different. We get to listen in to a conversation between Habakkuk and God. Let's just pause and think about that for a second. What would it be like if, if you could hear somebody else's prayers uh, and conversation between them and God? That would be... That for me, if I thought, wow, if somebody could hear my prayers, then uh, that, that would be kind of worrying because I, I lay it all out to God. And, and listening into somebody else's conversation with God is a fascinating thing. And that's exactly what we're doing in Habakkuk. I, uh, I realized as the years gone by, we, we, were having, uh, we were at the Hannenbergs the other night and Pete and I were in a conversation, I don't even remember what it was, and Sarah and Jen were in a conversation over there on the kind of the other side, so they're there and Pete and I are here and we're outside, it's lovely, and I'm chatting and they're chatting and, and then Sarah all of a sudden brilliantly jumps into our conversation and answers the question that Pete just asked me. And I'm like, how do you do that? How do you... How do you live your world while at the same time listen really attentively to this conversation and not only listen, but answer the question that's being posed? That is genius. How many other people have got that gift? Come on, let's see you. Oh, I think there's a lot more. I, I don't have that gift. I have the gift of I don't care. That's my gift. Sarah, because she's so much by giving and mercy, and we've chatted about this. What's the most she says? I'm just trying to help. And I, and I know her for, I've known her for a long time now. I know that is her heart, but it's still really amusing. But then we were laughing about it, and then Jen said, oh yeah, I heard what was going on as well. I'm thinking, okay, that, that's, that's amazing. That's what is happening in Habakkuk. We're listening into the conversation with Habakkuk. But the conversation that Habakkuk has is filled with complaint. He's complaining a lot. Now, there's a couple of principles just before we jump in. I just want you to think about. I'm not going to pull them hard. I just want you to think about. First of all, I love the fact that Habakkuk takes his complaint to God. That he's not afraid of asking God really big questions. And we're going to see three of them in a minute. He has no problem because he believes that God is, quite frankly, up to the challenge. That, that he communicates freely his complaints 
to God first of all. Now, that tells me two things. Two principles, I think, would be, would be really good for us to live by. First of all, the person that we speak to most in our lives is ourselves. And if you actually start listening to yourself, I just challenge you, and it's actually quite hard because we get into this conversation and we stop really thinking about what we're doing, but it's amazing how negative it can get, how you're complaining about yourself to yourself, you're comparing yourself to other people, or you're thinking about things that you should have done or should do, and, and often it's amazing how negative that is. Take your complaint to God first before you take it to yourself. And secondly, please, if you have a complaint in life, take it to God first before you take it to anyone else. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, and I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's some deep psychological reason, but as you complain about something, it seems like the thing you're complaining about gets worse in your heart and mind. Isn't that not true? As you're verbalizing it, it reinforces it and suddenly you don't actually feel better for complaining or gossiping to the other person. You feel worse. Take the complaint to God because here's what happens when I do that. And I wonder if it's the same for you. That actually God has this amazing ability to point out that the problem is not with that, that the challenge is actually with this. And he has a habit, a beautiful, divine, wonderful, chaotic sometimes habit of going, actually, Glenn, the problem is not theirs. The problem is yours because you can't control them. Leave them to me because I, I try and be the Holy Spirit. I'm going to try and bring change or if not, I'm just going to complain about it. Whereas God says, let that be, I will deal with that. You and I are the one that has this conversation. And in that conversation, there's growth and there's beauty and there's joy. So my first challenge to us this morning as a church is take your complaint to God. Be free with it. Be just, I call it brain or soul belching. Just blur to God. Like, I I can't deal with this God. What on earth is going on? And that is what we're going to see in Habakkuk, that God changes us more than he changes them. Leave them to God, bring us to him. He will bring the change. So let's, let's jump in. First of all, uh, this, is, this is Habakkuk's position, and we're going to look at some of the complaints, but look at what his mindset is, if you like. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. I want you to notice a couple of key words. And the reason I'm starting with this scripture... Habakkuk 2 verse 1, is because it describes what Habakkuk's frame of mind is when he's complaining to God. It's very important. It says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he, God, will say to me and what I will answer, what, what I will answer concerning my complaint. So here's what Habakkuk's saying. I've got some complaints, God. I've got some challenges. I've got some problems. I've got some big questions. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to position myself to hear your answer. I'm going to stand and I'm going to wait. I like his determination. I like his resolve. I like that I'm, it's almost like I am not going to move until I get an answer. I'm reading a book right now by Mark Batterson called The Circle. I only just started it, but he talks about story and I can't even I can't even give you the whys and where's for we may well be jumping into it a little bit more in the new year but the but the answer the, the basic um, thing of this book is that there was a prophet who drew a circle in the sand and got into the circle and resolved that he was not going to leave this circle until God answered his big prayer 
What do we get out of that? Well, when I was reading this book, I started drawing circles in my journal and putting prayers in them because I'm a bit of a visual guy. I highly recommend the book. I've only just started, but it's, it's a good start, The Circle by Mark Batson. But here's what it tells me about Habakkuk. That he's not just willing to throw out the big questions. He actually wants to sit and go, you know what, I'm going to search for the answers. You may have some really big questions about God. You may have some complaints against God because of what's happening in your life. And you know what? God is fine with that. Bring them. Soul belch it. It's all good. However, if you throw your complaint at God and then make no effort and no resolve to actually look into the answer, God wants to communicate to us. He wants to speak to us. And we, we back off sometimes because it's the, the idea of patiently waiting and looking out, actually looking for the answer. We want instant answer. Why is this happening? And then we don't actually sit and listen long enough to find out the answer. So we have these big, big questions, but he positions himself. I've recently been talking to a new friend of mine. His name is John and... and uh, John would say he's an agnostic, he's not a Christian, and so we've been chatting, we, we get together and we have a drink and we just talk about some stuff and it's really good and we've decided to go through the Reason of, for God book together um, and so it's, 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 it's brilliant, I'm, I'm loving it. But here's what I really respect about John. He will make a statement about Jesus and I will say lovingly, actually that's not quite right. Because this is what the Bible says. And here's what I like about John. He will say, actually, I've got to admit, I've never really looked into it. So that's fair. See, he's not thinking, I think this, therefore it's right. He's going, I think this, but maybe what I think is not right. Maybe I need to look into the answer more. Love that. Is that our position when it comes to God? Do we dedicate ourselves, position ourselves to hear. And then the next question would be, how do we do that? What does that look like for you? Is it, is it listening to a two-minute YouTube video on so, somebody has posted and you go, all right, that's what I believe. Wonderful. Because it was presented really well. Or do you actually study to show yourself approved, the Bible says? Do you get the books or the program or the resources together and start searching? Do you spend time praying? Do you spend time journaling? Do you read the Bible yourself? Because often when you read the Bible, you'll find that the Bible doesn't say what you think it says. <laughs> so you need to position yourself well, just like Habakkuk. He's got some big, big questions, and we do too. Some of them are very personal to us. I'm going to get to that. But some of them are just big life questions. So I'm super excited because in the fall, in the middle of October, we're going to launch a new series. And this series is called FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions. And the idea behind the series is, is that the people in our culture, in our community, and in this room have big questions for God. And they're big life-defining questions. Questions like, how can God be loving if there's so much suffering in the world? What about science and God? Hasn't science disproved the existence of God? You really believe in the Bible? Well, let's talk about the Bible. You're saying that Jesus was God? Let, let's, let's talk about that. And how do, isn't the Bible full of contradictions? And all these kind of big questions that people stand on as a reason for not believing in God. We're going to hit those things. It's going to be wonderful. And so it's a, a series is designed for you, Christian friends, to invite your friends to. And it's going to be every Sunday you can be sure that it's going to be not one of those Sundays where you go, oh, I wish the pastor hadn't said that. Well, maybe, maybe I will. But there'll be, there'll be questions answered. 
So that's something to look forward to. Middle of October, it's called FAQ. Start thinking about who it is that you could invite to come along to that. But there's also personal questions. You see, Habakkuk had good reason to ask these questions. Because this society and him in it was a disaster. Like if you read Habakkuk, you're going to see that there was starvation, that there was social collapse, they were surrounded by enemies from Babylon, that their health, their finances, their family, and their hopes and dreams were being dashed. So it's not like Habakkuk and, and the nation were kind of skipping through the meadows, super excited about life. They, were, they had reason to complain. And you might look at our society and go, okay, God, I've got some big questions. And God's response is, I'm going to position myself to answer them. Are you going to position yourself to hear the answer? So the first question he asks is this. How am I going to get through this? <laughs> how am I going to get through this? I wonder, I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up, but how many of you asked that question? I have no clue how I'm going to get through this fill in the blank. And maybe you weep it out. See Habakkuk 3 verse 17. The fig tree does not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fails, and the fields yield no fruit. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Now, listen, we, we read that verse and go, oh, there's no petting zoo to go and visit. What a disaster. And where am I going to find my olive oil? That's what we think, right? But you need to understand that that is actually a statement of economic, financial, and health disaster. That is their world. There's, it's, it's falling apart. How are we going to get through this? One thing after another, God. It's one thing that the fig trees don't blossom, but the fruit on the vines? And what about the olive oil? Are you kidding me? And then there's, there's no food? And my flocks, my, my sheep, and then there's no herds. How? Like, Lord, can you please? And you can read it in Habakkuk. There's just this layer upon layer upon layer of challenge and problems. I wonder if you can relate to that. Where you just think, God, not this as well. I mean, that was bad enough. But this as well? Like, Lord, I barely could breathe getting through that situation. And now there's this situation? How am I going to get through this? How am I going to do that? I was trying to think of a time, and you know, my now famous, and some of you may not have heard it, but I will tell it at another time of the time that I... Uh, tried to fix a radiator in one of our old homes and it was just disaster upon disaster upon disaster. And I was trying to think of a time when there was just this layering of disaster and the, the thing that came to my mind, and, and, I, and I hadn't thought about it for years, but I immediately started to laugh, was my, my friend, and I'm sorry, Mark, if you listen to this, he's, he's in rural in North Wales. Um, and he, he, he got locked out of, the, of his house. And in Britain, it's quite common to, to rather than have the big opening windows... Uh, they're actually relatively easy to get in. In Britain, some of, the, some of the houses just got a big pane of glass and then a small, like this gap, which you open out. And, and, they, and you've got like the metal um, arms that you push out and then you hook it onto a little sticky up thing. Um, what's the technical term, Dad? I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, Lyndon. Awning. You just made that up, didn't you? Awning. I thought an awning was something on the side of your trailer van. Oh. Wow. 
Let's just pause and consider that. Awning. Everybody say it. (laughs) So Mark decided, he got locked out, but he saw that one of these was open. So he asked his neighbor, who happened to be a lady, if she, he knew that she had a long pair of stepladders. Now you're going, okay, now this is just getting great. And it really does get better. He grabbed the ladders. He puts it up against the side of the window. And it's brilliant plan. He's going to go through this, go around and open up the door. Genius. We've all done something similar. I know I have. And he went up the ladder. And the nice lady decided she would stand, because safety first, right, Lyndon? You stand on the bottom of the rung, right, of the ladder so it doesn't slip out. Because everything's damp in Britain, so you need to be careful. So she stood there. And obviously you're looking up. I'm setting this up well. Okay, so Mark decides to go through a little gap. It's maybe like this. It was was skinnier days back then. And he goes goes through it, but he gets his pants caught on the little awning thing. But because of his position, he's too far committed in to be able to do anything about it. So I'm just going to leave you to the imagination as to what the lady at the bottom of the rung started to experience with Mark up there literally giving himself a wedgie through the window and giving the whole neighborhood a show on top of that. If things couldn't get any worse, layer upon layer, not only is he getting locked out, but everything else as well. It's a silly example, but at the same time, you kind of go, okay, I, you know, I could do without this. I could do without this. I could do without this. I could do without this, Lord. How am I going to get through it? One thing after another. And it's maybe the prayer. I wonder how many of you have ever prayed this really deep theological prayer. Oh, come on, God. Really? Now, some of you might go, wow, that's very irreverent. It's life. And God is okay with that. He would much prefer those prayers than the thee, thou, O great almighty God who sitteth on his throne in heaven. And he, You know what? God, what's going on? What's going on? Then he asks the second question. How is this fair? Habakkuk 1 verse 3. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he that is how is this fair the wicked the people who are far from you seem to be flourishing the traitors that everything is just decaying around me how is it fair that this is going well for them and yet for me that the wicked swallows up the man more righteously that the wicked are getting on in life They seem to be succeeding. And I wonder how many times you've prayed, not only how am I going to get through this, but Lord, how is this fair? How is it that this person can afford that? How is it that everything seems to go right for them? How is it that their family just seems to be picture postcard perfect and mine just looks like, uh, you know, a disaster? How is it fair, Lord, that I didn't get that job? It seems to go right for them and not me. God doesn't love me as much as them, clearly. You may not verbalize that, but is that how you feel towards God? That's okay. That's okay. And then he says, where are you? Where are you? There is nothing quite like the feeling of being totally alone in a circumstance. 
He's saying, how am I going to get through this? How is this fair? And God, where are you? Habakkuk 1, verse 2 to 3. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear? Oh, cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? He's calling God lazy. Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. Have you ever thought, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. How is this fair? And then you've thought, God doesn't care enough? Where is he? These are big questions. They're questions that need to be answered. And Christians, you need to understand this. These are the questions that people have in our culture. And you need to be able to answer them. You need to be able to say, and you need to be able to not go, hey, you know what? Um, It'll all be fine in the end. And, you know, if you just just say this or give this money or do this or do that, then everything will get better. Because that isn't actual reality. What you need is something far deeper, something inside that is going to carry you through rather than circumstances. You need to be able to communicate that truth to people because those are the questions that they're asking. So what are the answers that God gives them? And gives us and gives Habakkuk. First of all, I'm going to go through these pretty quick. He has a bigger plan. Habakkuk 1 verse 5. Look, this is God answering now. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Habakkuk 2 verse 14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. He's saying Habakkuk. I understand your complaint, but you don't understand at the moment what it is that I'm trying to do. You see, he's reminding Habakkuk of some truth. That truth is that God is on his throne. That I have a bigger plan. Now, Christians do not use this and wield this in people's lives who are going through difficulties. You know, well, all things work together for good. You're likely to get a poke in the eye and go, well, it doesn't feel very good now but to communicate that God has a bigger plan that just because we can't see it, just because we don't understand it, doesn't mean to say that it's not there. You see, when I think about Paul in the New Testament, he was able to endure the deepest of suffering because he had known he was camped out on an evidence that he knew would carry him forward into a future of hope. And that evidence was that God loved him so much that he gave his son... Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life that we are unable to live and then die the death that we justly should die. He gave his son for that reason. And so if God loves us that much, that even in the middle of this desperately bad circumstance, that we can trust in the God who gave his son. We can trust in that God who can point to the cross and say, see, remember how much I loved you. Remember how much I called you. Remember the times that I held you and and you felt close to me. Remember and trust me. Have faith that my plan is bigger than you. Because friends, if you know that you've got something wonderful to receive at the end, then we can endure. I have to be very careful when I talk about any time that my wonderful wife gave birth to any of my wonderful children. Because for a man to describe anything to do with childbirth as an immediate, oh yeah, really? You're going to talk about this, are you? Okay, bucko, off you go. Mm-hmm. So I need to be very careful, but I will say, will say this on safe ground, I think is that there's a joy, there's a hope, 
There's a wonder. There's an excitement. There's something to focus on. There's a goal that causes my wonderful wife to be able to endure the pain and the suffering and the challenge. And she really hurt my hand when she gripped me one time. I seem to remember. But, you know, forgive. It's all good. But she's able to... She's able to do an amazing job. Phenomenal to go through that intense suffering. Am I making it sound bad enough for you, Sarah? Yeah. Because there's this joy at the end. That's what life should be like. Do you have that hope? Do you have that joy? Do you have that wonder to aim for? Because when I look at the cross, I see God's love expressed on it. And I can take stock and enjoy the promises of the future. Number two, we are called to live by faith. God says to Habakkuk, I hear you. How are you going to get through this? How is this fair? Where are you? Here's my answer, Habakkuk 2 verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith, Habakkuk. The righteous shall live by faith. It's by your faith in me that you will live. You will find life and life to the full. Not in the circumstances changing because the storms will always come. You will find life and life to the full, Habakkuk, as a righteous person as you ground yourself in the promise that there is a bigger plan and have faith in me, Habakkuk. That's where life is found. Not in circumstantial change. Not in things suddenly aligning and becoming the way that we'd want them. And let me tell you, it's not that God doesn't want those things, but what he wants more is you to become more like Jesus, for you to be able to point to Jesus and say, even in the midst of that, look at how good he is. And can I tell you, as I was considering this uh, this week, I just thought about so many people in this community who have gone through the greatest challenge, the greatest pain, the hardest of circumstances, the most awful of health situations, and have stood strong while pointing to Jesus and saying, He is good. He is good. Am I in pain? Am I worried? Am I concerned? Am I questioning? Yes, but He's still good. He's still good. And he'll be good tomorrow if it gets worse. And he'll be good tomorrow if in his wisdom and his joy and in his pleasure, he relieves us of this circumstance. But he is good. That's faith. And that kind of faith takes you through life. And I stand in wonder and admiration genuinely of people in this community right now who are going through the hardest of circumstances And the encouragement it brings me, and it humbles me, because that is faith. And somehow in the midst of that, true life is seen. True life. Not based on anything other than that rock that they stand on, and his name is Jesus. Because he is on his throne, Habakkuk 2 verse 20, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. I love the authority Okay, shh, I'm on my throne. It's going to be okay. I know what I'm doing. I'm sovereign. And we need to have faith in that. See, that's what's so amazing about the relationship in Jesus. Like young people, a relationship in Jesus gives you a grounding in life that says that regardless of what happens or does not happen, then that relationship in Jesus gives you life and life to the full because you are not dictated to by what's going on around you. 
See, Jesus said, Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What a beautiful word, rest. It's yours. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. There's that word again. For what your souls, not just your mind, but the very core of who you are, you will find rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. You see, the world has answer. This is what you need to do. You need to stop that. Go there. Do this. You know, eat more broccoli. Do Go there. Sniff that. Have oils and all that stuff that we love. And and that's your answer. That's where you're going to find your rest. Maybe if you do this yoga pose or if you go and rub that crystal on your head and if you have this bit of furniture pointing in that direction and don't live on the end of a cul-de-sac for goodness sake because that feng shui is out the window. See, that will bring you rest. That will bring you peace. Don't wear that because if you wear that, then the energy that you're going to get... And I'm like, what? You're saying that I've got faith? You think I'm crazy for believing in a God who died for me? But the answer is found in crystals? I struggle with that. That's how the world gives it. Because what happens is when we don't find rest and peace in any of those things, we either blame those things and go to something else, or we blame ourselves and say, well, we should have done a better job, and then shame and guilt flood in. That's not rest. Whereas Jesus says, come to me and I will give you peace. And this depth of peace is not as the world gives because it is based on something the world cannot give, which is a divine love. Colossians 3 verse 15, For let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. See, I read that sentence and go, okay, if God is on his throne and he's in control and he offers this peace and he says this, that we should put our hearts on this, that the rule in our hearts should be Jesus, it causes me to question, I'm just going to leave it with you, what actually rules our hearts and is it giving us peace and rest? Supernatural peace. Supernatural, over above, indescribable peace and rest that people will scratch their heads and go, how is this possible? It's possible because God is on his throne. Parents, teach your kids about the sovereignty of God that he is in control and when life seems to collapse it is still well with your soul that even though plans may change that if they have that security that God is in control then it is well with their soul but I want you to notice something really quickly Habakkuk 3.16 I hear so he's saying look I hear you God but look all his troubles suddenly disappear right? No. And my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. See, what he's saying here is just because God has spoken, because he's situated and positioned himself on the wall and saying, I'm going to wait until God answers. And I hear you, God, that you're a sovereign God. You're sitting on the throne. The the righteous shall live by faith. I hear all these answers. Yet my feelings still are the same. I'm still scared, God. 
and that's okay. My lips still tremble. I'm still a quivering wreck. I still feel sick and rotten inside when I think about it. But what's he say? Yet I will quietly wait. He puts his attention on what God has said, regardless of what his feelings dictate. He speaks to his feelings. That's not prosperity gospel, by the way. That's Bible. Speak to your feelings. Speak. Do you remember how I said we talk to ourselves all the time? Just change the conversation. Change the conversation. Start declaring who it is that loves you, what it is that he thinks about you, what your future is. Start declaring that. I will wait. Now, does that mean the circumstances might change? Maybe they will. Maybe they won't. Maybe they won't. You see, he makes a decision and he resolves to wait. Then he declares truth over the situation. Habakkuk 3 verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Then, listen, one of the most powerful words in that passage coming up. Three letters, yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. My circumstances give me no reason to rejoice, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. In other words, I'm going to live by faith. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. He prays truth. This is faith in God, my friends. This is what it looks like. This is what it sounds like. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. When did he say that? Right in the middle of a stinking jail. Rejoice. Now then, this teaching has been twisted badly into this name it and claim it, blab it and grab it, gospel. I don't even want to call it a gospel. It's it's just... If you say this, then your circumstances will change. It doesn't say that. But what it does say is if you say this, then something profoundly powerful happens. And I want you to see this. Can we go back to that, the other scripture just before, please, Dwayne? I want you to see something incredibly important. I want you to remember this. Verse 19, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. When you rejoice in God... When you find joy, when you speak truth, when you start declaring truth into your life, when you'll change the conversation, what happens when you start remembering and start repeating and start reaching out to God, this is what happens is you'll find that, that it's not your strength, God is my strength. It doesn't say he's going to increase your strength, he says he is your strength. Not the change of circumstances. Not the change now. God can heal and does heal. And we pray for it and we believe it. But the reality is this. Is that we rejoice and we seek and we reach and we remember knowing that he is our strength. Yet I will rejoice. So how do we get to this place? In a few minutes, Luke and the team are going to come up and lead us in a beautiful hymn. And we're going to take communion. Paul, uh, Jesus himself said this, remember, remember my body, remember my blood, 
remember what I did for you. So as we remember and we repeat the truth that God has spoken over us into our lives, and we reach out towards him, which is essentially what worship is, and we position ourselves and we say, I'm going to live by faith, even though my circumstances are dictating otherwise, I will rejoice. I will look for things that I can thank him for. Then as we do that, you will find that his strength is magnified. The circumstances, I'm not going to stand here and go, if you do that, you'll twist God's arm and he will do that. Because God is on his throne. And I don't know what that looks like. And I've been involved in many, many pastoral situations with people who are literally desperate and at the end of sometimes their life or sometimes their circumstance, whatever it might be. And I'm not going to stand there and go, hey, this is what you need to do and this will all change. But what I can do is say this, hey, this is what you need to do. Rejoice in a God who loves you and he will be your strength. He will be your righteousness. He will be your God. And there is life to be found in that. And I wonder whether you have that. I wonder whether you can say, God is my strength. He is the one. Because as we come to communion, the Bible says that very clearly for those who love him, those who are Christians, those who believe in him can come and take. And that's a point of consideration that we have to go, okay, am I, am I a Christian? Am I a Jesus follower? Have I submitted my life to him? And if you haven't, then today is a day of salvation. You can pray, you can ask for forgiveness, you can confess before him. And the word says that if, if we do that, then he will, he will flood into our lives and he will forgive you. Christians, this is a great point of remembering, repeating, and reaching out to God. Saying, God, my circumstances, I don't know what's going on, but Lord, I love you and I know you have a plan I know that you somehow good is going to come out of this. I know what that looks like. And you just be honest with him. This is a beautiful point of honesty that we can all share together as a family. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for the bread and, and the juice. And, and then Luke and the team are going to lead us in some worship. And then at any time in that worship, you can come forward and you can take. And then you can take it back to your seat and take it in your own time. I want you to... Spend some time just considering or reflecting together. And then you can take and you eat. But remember, repeat the truth to you, self, and then reach out to a God who loves you and has proven that he loves you by the death freely given of his son on the cross. Let's pray. Let's just close our eyes. Yet I will rejoice. God of my salvation. God, we come to you declaring, Lord, that, that you are our salvation. That God, we, we've looked to the world. We've looked to our culture. We've looked to the answers given. And Father, we see them lacking. They are not our salvation. And yet, Lord, we sense and know that salvation is found in you. And Lord, I pray 
that God, just even for a few minutes, Lord, but I pray even throughout the week that we would be a group, a church of the yet I will rejoice. That, Lord, that we'd be a group of people who would remember your love evidenced on the cross as we're about to share in communion. That, God, that we would repeat truth to ourselves that you have a plan, you love us, that we're your children for those who believe in Jesus. And that, God, that we would spend time just for a few minutes reaching out to you, thanking you, loving you, finding rest and peace in you. So, Lord, we pray for these elements, this bread and this juice. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that they represent. God, I pray in the same way that physically we're taking in that truth, that, Lord, that spiritually we will take that truth into our hearts, that you love us, you chose us, you care for us, that you can handle the big questions and the complaints. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Hallelujah.